Do you want to maximize your success with NCUA? Join Mark Trichel as he shares with you the insider's view on passing your exam with Flying Colors. The With Flying Colors podcast is sponsored by Credit Union Exam Solutions by Mark Trichel. If you would like to work directly with the Credit Union Exam Solutions team and receive support to optimize your results with NCUA so you save time and money, visit us at marktrichel.com to find out more. Hey, this is Mark Treichel with another episode of With Flying Colors. I'm excited today to have Brian Lauer with me. Hey, Brian, how are you doing today? I'm good, Mark. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm excited to chat with you. I want to give a little bit of background. I pulled Brian's biography off of his LinkedIn. Brian is a partner with the law firm of Messick, Lauer, and Smith, and he lives in Media, Pennsylvania, where he concentrates his practice on assisting credit unions primarily through CUSOs, in finding effective ways to work collaboratively with other credit unions and third-party service providers to serve their members with non-traditional products and services. Brian also assists credit unions and CUSOs navigate the sea of regulations affecting nearly every aspect of their day-to-day operations. And Brian became the CUSO's general counsel in 2021. And he serves as NACUSO's liaison with NCUA and other regulatory agencies for NACUSO. Brian, I think we first met back in 2013. That was when I first became the executive director at NCUA. And NACUSO does a real good job of lobbying the NCUA board and just making sure the issues that are out there for the people that you represent. And it was at that meeting I sat in with one of the board members, and that was where I first learned how good a job NACUSO did in communicating the needs of its members. And I believe even at that time, there was a discussion about expanding the CUSO rule to allow for all forms of letting, et cetera. It's ironic, today is July 19th that we're recording this. If my dad was still around, it would be his 89th birthday. I got a love of quotes from him. And one of them he gave me on a card was, Calvin Coolidge, which was nothing in this world can take the place of persistence. And so as I was getting ready to chat with you today, it dawned on me, it was my dad's birthday, and I connected the dots of the persistence that Nacuso had on that particular topic. So bravo for a job well done on that. Thank you, Mark. You're absolutely right. Back in 2013, when we met and we started to discuss that issue of Cuso's getting the power to be able to make all types of loans. You know, at that time, CUSOs could only make four types of loans. They could make mortgage, residential mortgage loans, business loans, student loans, and credit card loans. And it just seemed to us, it seemed archaic that the CUSO wouldn't be able to have the lending powers to be able to assist credit unions in all types of loans. We started to discuss that with, if I recall correctly, back in 2013, it was Chairman Matz, I believe. Yes, that's right. And... She loved to bring a big group of people to those meetings. It was always fun. There would be like eight or 10 of you guys back there. You're right. I think that's when we met and we first brought the issue up. Again, you were persistent at it. And I could tell you there were dialogues, but I remember walking out of there. It was either before the meeting or after the meeting. Must have been after the meeting when it came up that the general counsel started chatting a little bit about that. And slowly but surely, you got staff around to the idea. And then you kept whittling away at it with the board. And here we are. So speaking of which, so that was a rule, October 2021, NCUA expanded permissible activities and services for CUSOs. 
that's been in place now for a little bit. And one of the things that went in there was allowing it to make every type of loan. There were other things that were approved in that rule. For example, giving the NCAA board the additional flexibility to approve permissible activities without having to go back to the table with the rule, making the rule in and of itself a little bit more nimble so that it couldn't get bogged down within the walls of NCUA. Here we are. Let's see. So that's a little bit ago. Have you seen any movement from where you sit at NACUSO relative to this rule? Any credit unions have any luck on the side of making different loans? Or what's your take on implementation of this rule? That's an interesting question, Mark. So one of the things that we actually discussed with some of the board members when we were being persistent is that there was a question around, well, what are the advantages of expanding to all loan types, right? Why would this matter, right? What will a QSO making auto loans or a QSO making unsecured loans or, or whatever the case may be, how's that going to be advantageous? And we often talked about how credit unions, the lending marketplace is changing. It's always changing and has been since I've been in the industry. But as you know, Mark, things are changing exponentially faster, right, as we go along. And so one of the things that credit unions can use QSOs for in the lending space as the marketplace changes is to get access to additional loan types that they wouldn't necessarily get access to. And I I sort of use the analogy to indirect lending and dealer loans, right? Back when Cuddle attacked that marketplace, right, a couple decades ago, but what the QSO was trying to do was give credit unions access to loans that they were starting to lose. Members were no longer walking into the branches, right? They weren't going to the dealership and then saying, okay, I like the car. I'm going to go now get my loan from the credit union. The dealer didn't want them to leave the dealership. They wanted them to say, they had them at the table and they said, here's your loan. We'll do that for you. And the QSOs were the ones that helped attack that problem for credit unions. They said, look, why don't we build a network of dealership relationships and we'll tell the dealers will be the loans on the back end. It's sort of like the birth of indirect lending, right? Well, I see this expansion of QSO powers in this realm to be another sort of additional way in which credit unions can get access to loans that they're starting to lose today, right? Might be something like, I mean, auto is a good example, right? A credit union member may go to Costco to buy a car, right? Or they may go to Carvana, or they may go to Tesla. Tesla is not a dealership, not part of the network, right? And Tesla, as an example, or Costco, they don't want to deal with a thousand different credit unions, right? They want to deal with one lender. They don't want their folks saying, all right, now I have to figure out what credit union you're a member of. And so what the QSO really does is it helps to grease the wheels of that deal flow. It makes the friction go away. The QSO can be the lender. And then the QSO can worry about getting the loan onto the credit union's books, worry about membership, worry about all those things that Cuddle, for instance, is doing today. But a lot of other QSOs, there's QAC down in Texas is doing the same thing. It's really enabling credit unions to build more relationships with third-party lenders so that they can get more of those loans on their books. I always throw the example out there like Peloton. Peloton's not going to want to deal with a thousand credit unions, but they might deal with a good QSO that has access to those thousand credit unions. And you can maybe get some of those loans. Yeah. So Peloton, for example, they're looking for economies of scale. They want things to be quick. They want to sell it, but they want it to be quick. And you use one of my favorite words, friction. There's a book, I don't know if you've read it, Atomic Habits. I'm on my second reading of it. It helps me work out. It helps me do different things, but it's creating friction of bad habits 
for example, I don't have any chocolate in the house and eliminating friction on good things, which is what the CUSO can do to arrange for those loans. That's an excellent example. And there's been growth. NCUA's statistics show that it's growing. So it's quite possibly that it's this rule that's played a role in that. They did add participation loans and indirect lending as an area of concentration for their exams this year, other than them raising third-party due diligence, which comes into play with every QSO and QSOs are very familiar with. I don't think it's caused any undue challenges out there for credit unions, but the growth is good. And there's credit unions that they don't have the ability to make those loans. Their members might not be interested in it, and they can do some participation that comes from the QSO as well. Yeah, absolutely. And you had mentioned the nimbleness of the new rule too, the idea that the board can act without a rulemaking in order to add additional QSO activities. We haven't seen any of those yet. They're actually going to be listed on NCUA website in a certain section under the regulations. So we haven't seen any activity there. But I think going back to your comment about the length of time and the persistence of the QSO to be able to get this change to the lending powers, I never looked at the calendar. You know what? Maybe that's what decreased the friction on my persistence in getting the rule is that I never thought how early we asked for that, right? But yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it took, based on your timeline, it took almost eight years, right? right? Or somewhere around eight years. So obviously these kinds of changes we're talking about with the advantages of using QSOs to decrease friction on and getting more loans on the credit unions books, we need that nimbleness. We need to be able to access as things change different markets and different types of services in a much faster fashion. So I'm really happy that the board actually approved that addition to the rule. Yeah, it's going to be interesting too, with because if you go to American Banker, if you go to CU Times, if you go to CU Today, FinTech, you can't look at a website dealing with banking that doesn't talk to FinTech. And the board members individually speak to FinTech quite a bit. But it's quite possible that you'll see when they do come out with some of these things, there might be an appetite for fintech type investments or incidental powers, if you will. What are your thoughts relative to that arena? Oh, my goodness. I could not agree more. So going back to persistence, I like the theme, right? But as soon as we were able to successfully get the change to the CUSO rule on the lending powers that we just were speaking of, the CUSO started right away on what we think is vitally important to the industry and a regulatory change that we need. The industry desperately needs the ability to build more longer lasting partnerships with FinTech. This evolution and the exponential evolution that I mentioned earlier, that has everything to do with technology and financial technology. And for a long time, folks said, oh, well, FinTech are going to disintermediate credit unions from their members, right? And varying success, I think, over the last 10 years since you started hearing that. But it's become more and more relevant because the credit union members or the average member is aging and we need to get those younger members and the younger members are using their phone for everything, right? And so a credit union needs to focus on, okay, what are my routine operations and where are my credit unions going to get the services they need? They're going to financial technology companies, right? FinTech lending, by the way, going back to the lending powers too, I think there's some opportunity for credit unions to use CUSOs to compete with some of the FinTech lending that's going on right now. You see companies like Upgrade and Upstart and Affirm on the buy now, pay later side. And there's lots and lots of innovation and creation in the lending space. And credit unions need to be able to invest in and cultivate those kinds of technologies in order to be able to be relevant to their members in the future. And that starts with being able to invest in those things. You know, something as simple as, 
and incubate. I'm sure you've heard about these like financial technology incubators, digital credit union or digital federal credit union, DCU in Boston area started one on their own, but they weren't able to invest in and really truly cultivate those services as would have been advantageous because the only investment power they have is CUSOs. And those fintechs have to agree to primarily serve credit unions. Right, right. And that's a big hindrance to a credit union being able to invest in a fintech or financial technology is limiting their market right off the bat. Right. Yeah. I'm trying to remember it was a GAO report or something that talked about regulatory sandbox and having the ability yes. to kind of play in the sandbox to figure out what's next. And that the way the Federal Credit Union Act and or the regulations are structured can be a little bit of a hindrance on that. Hopefully, this new rule, to the extent that that can be addressed regulatory, this is something, I mean, again, the way the NSUA board is always talking fintech, you know that they're aware of it. And it's probably because of the persistence of people like you and individual CUSOs that are saying, hey, we need to have the ability to do this. And NCUA, the reality is, if they are to allow it, even if it leads to an occasional insurance fund loss, that's better than being left in the wake of fintech and where banking's going. I mean, that's the other alternative is you lock it down and you don't let credit unions do it. And because of that, their relevance can ultimately be challenged. So really it's at the heart of everything. Absolutely. And to your point, people like to say that credit unions are conservative and we should be conservative in our approach. But the truth is we're in the risk business, right? And so the NCUA needs to understand that as well, that yes, there could be insurance losses. I'm not going to say there never will be, right? But if we don't get in line with the technology and the future of financial services industry, credit unions are going to die. Not all of them. And it'll probably be like the old adage, the frog in the, the scorpion, top, right? Yeah. yeah. Or the frog <laughs> you know, in the They pot. don't know yeah. the water's yeah. boiling. Right? They don't feel it's boiling. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. NCUA's board, I think, is structured in a way right now that they're open to those ideas. So I've heard the possibility of this fintech issue getting a little bit of legs under this regulation. When I was an examiner back long, long time ago, and I first printed off the regulation and the NCUA checklist, and it, it was all about piercing the corporate veil and making sure that the CUSO's board was different than the credit union's board so that you could truly have independence. And the first time that I saw CUSOs doing really, really good things was on the commercial lending side because there were credit unions that couldn't afford to have the staff to do it, but they had members that might want to do it. And that was a great thing that I saw early on in my career relative to CUSOs. And then later on, back office sharing of skills and different things like that. Where do you see, like over the last three, four, five years, are there any things that you see starting to get momentum relative to certain things that CUSOs are doing now better than they did maybe 15, 20 years ago or other newer type things that, that CUSOs are really trying to do? You're absolutely right, by the way. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, the commercial lending was the hot thing. And it was really good for credit unions. It showed yes. the value of what collaboration can do and to give credit unions access to a lending type they would not have necessarily been able to put on their books. And by the way, to our earlier comment, there was risk there too. Right. right. And we saw some of that risk later on when the financial crisis happened, but weathered that and credit unions are better off for it. Right. Absolutely. They're seen as a resource for their members today in the commercial and small business lending space that they weren't necessarily before. But what I see now, you're certainly right, then back office came into play. The trend I see now is more of a strategy. So I think that credit unions are now focused on what is their QSO investment strategy. And these are some of the larger credit unions. What I mean by that is 
They're saying, all right, instead of investing in a QSO or forming a QSO as it comes along onesie twosie here and there, right? Oh, that looks like a good idea. Let's invest in it and see what happens. Instead, credit unions are starting to look at this from a strategic vision perspective. How do their QSO investments fit within the overall vision and mission of the credit union, right? And it takes a board to C-suite management, top-down look and approach and says, look, we're only going to make investments in QSOs that fit within the mission instead of just looking at, oh, that's a cool idea. Let's see what happens. Instead, let's look at what we really think and in a way, tackling it strategically, right? Saying these are the swim lanes that we see where investment would be beneficial for our credit union and our mission. And then looking and hiring people to actually look into those things and further take on the tactics of doing that. That's really the focus. The only other thing I would mention is after back office, certainly fintech. We've talked about fintech quite a bit. Fintech, right now, credit unions are only permitted to invest in a financial technology company if it's a QSO. And so certainly over the last three to five years, financial technology has been incredibly popular, right? And wanting to make good investments in technologies that will help their credit union. But I think, again, now, right now, I see strategy being a focus. The other thing I would mention, Mark, that I think is really pertinent to the industry as a whole is that I see credit unions starting to refocus on the underserved as it relates to financial technology, right? So the fintechs were coming in and mobile and digital and all those sorts of things, different products and services, data analytics, all of these kinds of things, right? But I do see credit unions refocusing on trying to serve some of these financial deserts, some of these communities that don't have the financial services within their confines that allow them to succeed. And I see credit unions starting to refocus on that as I think banks start to move out of that space even more and more. I saw an interesting plot map of the country, and it was a plot map of poverty. So it was like sort of, you know, darker colors, there's more poverty versus lighter colors, right? A plot map of poverty throughout the country. And it almost matched exactly up with a plot map of communities where an individual would have to travel more than a mile to a nearest bank branch or financial institution branch. And I think that's a real problem. And by the way, it's not just rural, although I think credit unions are fantastic at remaining in their communities and some of these rural communities that banks leave. It's also in the big cities, right, where there are communities where the banks leave. And there are a lot of smaller credit unions still there saying, hey, we're here. Right. Yeah. Small, medium and large credit unions with that underserved element. And that's what I mean. I've been involved in some situations where credit unions were getting secondary capital or sub debt so that they could acquire banks. And there's a compelling argument that a credit union purchasing a bank, as opposed to another bank, the bank is more likely to shut those branches down than the credit union is because the credit union is doing it because either they want to add that field of membership so that they can serve them, or it's already part of their field of membership. Completely agree. They're more focused on member service as just sort of a cliche that everybody always says, but it's true. They don't close branches. They generally do not close branches because their members are still there needing to be served. Right. And hopefully there's that proposed change to the Federal Credit Union Act that will allow underserved any type of credit union to pick up underserved area, which will be great for the underserved. And it'll be good for credit unions because they'll be able to serve more and better. That's right. Absolutely. So I know some states, I don't have this at the tip of my tongue, but some states allow a bigger investment and bigger amount of lending 
if my memory serves right, NCUA allows 1% investment and 1% in lending. So it's kind of capped at 2%. The states that allow that, is that abundant? Is that used a lot? Or is that just something that on occasion, there's somebody who goes out and does it? Have the results of that been positive in a way that, hey, maybe this is something that NCUA should be looking at, whether it's a change to the act or regulations to allow a little bit more? I think the interesting thing about that, Mark, is that for the most part, the industry is not using that 1%. Okay. So the amount at risk is still very, very low or under that 1%. However, I will say there are progressive credit unions, for lack of a better word, sure. that are certainly using that 1% a whole lot more and would really see advantage to increasing it. Now, when you look at some of the states, I don't know that any of them are hitting their cap. I've not seen any studies that show that those credit unions are necessarily more successful because of that versus the others, right? I don't think, I'm glad I'm here doing this, having this talk with you, because I still think in the industry, CUSOs are something that are an afterthought for credit unions. And I think that they should be a more prevalent tool for credit unions to use. And then maybe as we continue to persist in that way, I think maybe we will see those caps being increased. Yeah, that's a great point. It's a tool. It's in the toolbox. And if a credit union isn't utilizing it, it's something that they should really take a look at. Because again, if it creates an opportunity for you to better serve your members, which inevitably and undoubtedly most often it does, as you're looking at those strategies on how you can best serve your members, it's something that credit unions should definitely consider. So absolutely. I completely agree. Well, so Brian, as we wrap up here, is there a question I should have asked you that I didn't? And also, if someone who listens to the podcast here wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? So I don't think we missed anything in our talk, Mark. It was a good talk. The only thing I think that's really hot right now that maybe we could touch on briefly is cryptocurrency. Yes. Right? It's a huge area. It sort of is enveloped by this overall fintech market. But I think it's an interesting space that we need to keep an eye on. I don't know that I necessarily have answers to it. I know that some of the NCUA board are really interested in it today, mm-hmm. right? And yes. But I do think that it's a fascinating space that we should keep our eyes on and continue to look at. And I think CUSOs are a way for credit unions to get involved in the crypto space and maybe not take on too much risk on their own. So it might be a good stepping stone to getting into that space, the DeFi space, stablecoin and the like. Right. There's the crypto side of it. And then there's the blockchain side of it for the clearing aspect of it. And I've heard noise on both sides of that. I know there's credit unions out there that, as you've mentioned, on the crypto side, they create an opportunity for their members to participate in it. So No, it's going to be a very, very big area for sure in the next five years, I think. Yeah, no doubt. Very good. So, Brian, if a credit union was wanting to connect with you about anything we talked about here today or anything QSO related, how would they go about doing that? Probably the best way would just be to go to our website, which is www.qsolaw.com, C-U-S-O-L-A-W.com. You can get all of our contact information there, learn more about myself and my colleagues, and maybe even read some of the news items and information that we have on the site as well. That's great. And I'll put that web link in the show notes for the podcast. And Brian, it was great chatting with you today. Good to connect. And again, that your persistence is admirable. Very well done. And again, thank you for your time. Yeah, absolutely. It was great to be here, Mark. Thanks so much for inviting me. You got it. And for the listener, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you listening today. And I hope you'll join me again soon for the next episode of With Flying Colors.
thank you for joining us on this episode of With Flying Colors. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app to hear future episodes where subject matter experts of all varieties will provide tips on how to achieve success with NCUA. If you would like to learn more about how we assist credit unions, check out our services at marktreichel.com. 